The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and over the coming months I'll be bringing you the stories and important issues from communities all over the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KM Community on Facebook or Twitter or you can email me at okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week, knife crime is one of the biggest national talking points in 2019. Referred to as an epidemic by a former Met Police officer, knife crime in England and Wales hit the highest levels in 2019 since records began. Gang culture and drug trafficking has brought the conversation closer to communities in Kent as County Lines gangs travel down to the county to recruit young people to deal and sell drugs. Last month, Kent Online revealed the harrowing story of a schoolgirl from Canterbury who got involved in County Lines gangs at the age of just 11. What is the answer to stopping these young people from entering into a culture of knife crime, violence and gangs? To discuss this, I'm joined by Francis O.C. Appiah, a former gang member who now runs the charity Reform, Restore, Respect. The KM Community Podcast. Francis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, how did you end up creating Reform, Restore, Respect? So Reform, Restore, Respect came about from my own painful experience of the criminal justice system. So in my late teens, um, I was groomed to a gang in North London, in Tottenham area. Um, it was a very short life in the gang lifestyle. I was in the gang for 18 months to 22 years, 24 months maximum. And I end up... Um, in the Old Bailey Central Criminal Court, the biggest court in the country, facing very serious charges. Um, I was sent to prison with a gang for very serious offences of kidnapping, uh, blackmail, drug offences of a rival drug dealer who owed the gang money. And it was my first time in prison. It was my first uh, conviction. And that really opened my eyes. While I was in prison, I did a lot of soul-searching, um, I applied myself back to education. I was, I was an academic type of person anyway. Um, and then I came out of prison. I thought, you know what? Wow, what a journey I've just been on. I don't want any young people similar to myself to go through this painful experience mm. that I just, this journey I just went on. So that's how Reform, Restore, Respect came about. So I felt while I was in prison, if an ex-offender who served time came into my school in Wood Green in North London, and told me what it's like to be imprisoned, the conditions, the impact of that criminal record, and all of that stuff, I felt that would be enough to deter me, to open my eyes, give me the education that I need, the awareness. So that's how reform story. So I thought, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna share my story. That would be my crusade. I want to reach out to as many young people as possible. I can't change everyone, but if I go into a secondary school, talk to a one year group, and I change even one, stop one person doing crime, I've done my job. That's that's a successful outcome for me. So that's how it came about, basically. And, I mean, it's... So when you were at school, there was no kind of initiatives like that to, to say, look, if you do get involved in this, this is what's going to... This is what could happen to you. No, not at all. And I, I went to school in the 90s. Um, I, was in pri I was in secondary school from 1992 to 1997. And there's no such initiative around that time. None whatsoever. And you say you did a lot of soul searching when you were in prison. Um, 
you know, what, what was there something specific? Was there like a catalyst? Was there something specific that made you go, I need to change my life now. I need to do this and I need to do something that matters, that counts. It just, I just didn't fit in. Looking at the characteristics and the identity of offenders in custody, every prison that I went to, prison officers always told me, what are you doing in here? And I had to scratch my head and what do you mean, what am I doing in here? I'm serving time. Because, nah, you don't belong in here, son. There's something special about you. You know, you're not a typical prisoner that we see every day in here. It's just, your mannerism, the way you talk, you shouldn't be in here. You, I think you got caught up in the wrong crowd. I kept on hearing that message all the time. And then the turning point for me was when I went to the education department of the prison. I said, look, I want to do my degree. They said, well, you need to have your GCSEs, A-levels, whatnot. If you can prove that you've done that, get your parents to send that qualifications in, we can enroll you with the Open University. You can do distant learning and do your degree like that way. And it happened. And you did health and social care, didn't you? I did health and social care. And that was the turning point for me. And the more I educate my, myself to that academic level, I felt, you know what? You cannot behave in a certain way with that knowledge you know, it just it it opens up your mind, and and for me, those academic studies are for me better than offending behaviour courses that they give prisoners, because offending behaviour courses help prisoners and criminals if they want to change. But if that person don't have that light bulb moment, that doesn't come on in their head. It's like, I've had enough of this life. I want to change. Those offending behaviour courses can't help them. But to educate yourself to a certain level. You just know as an educated person, you cannot behave in a certain way. It's not a society norm. So that's like an unlock, do you reckon? That's a way of unlocking maybe some of this is to um, maybe to offer better programs of education, but but not necessarily programs that are around not offending, but but programs that focus you on something completely different as a topic. Absolutely, absolutely. And the, uh, our prison service in the UK tend to believe that most offenders are b below basic level education. And it's, it's probably true, research probably proves that. You know, they didn't go to school, you know, um, they got no qualification, they can't read or write. So they give them the most basic, basic education. But every now and then you have prisoners who are above that, who are actually quite educated and can go into higher learning and do academic stuff, you know, and the opportunities are there and prisoners need to take those opportunities. You know, definitely. Yeah, it's good to know those opportunities are available for people if they want to. Because it's, I'm sure it's very hard coming out of prison and thinking how, what's in, what impact is this going to have? I mean, you said it yourself; it has a huge impact, massive on your on your life when you mm. come out. So a chance to, you know, try and get put back into the community, which mm. is something that you're doing, and also educate yourself to a degree level gives yeah. that opportunity. Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely, I agree. I'm I'm all for education, and that's another reason why Reform Restore Respect was set up for schools. Because I know the power of education and how education opened the door for me. It was the key for me. It turned my life around. It removed me from gangs. So I thought, you know what? Not only that I want to reach out to young people, but I'm giving back to education. So education was my saviour. So that's another reason it linked back to Reform and Respect set up. Yeah. Def definitely. I want to go back briefly, Francis, to yeah. that you were talking about, you heard a lot that you'd been caught up mm. uh, in these gangs. Do you think... Do you think it's easy for young people to be easily swayed by some of these, some of this gang culture? Mm. It's easy to get caught up in that lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, I think society has changed from when we were growing up, um, and it's very tough for a young person growing up in any community now 
the pressure is huge. You know, I remember when, when I was young, before I got caught up and got groomed into a gang, I was just a normal teenager, put my racksack on, on my BMX, somehow have football under my arm, going to football training. And life was, wasn't that scary, you know, it wasn't that risky. You know, I felt safe. You know, I had to walk from my council estate, walk 30, 40 minutes to my school in Wood Green, and no one wouldn't harm me. But now society's not like that. You know, you could be innocent bystander walking and somebody can say, oh, you're part of a gang, actually you're not and hurt you and stab you. You know, and also I think we live in a very globalised world now, globalisation, where materialistic stuff, kids want the best of everything. They're very competitive. You know, they want the best iPhone. They want the best designer jeans, the best trainers. So when a gang comes along and offer a young person these incentives or this materialistic stuff, like, do this for me. You can have that, trainers. Do this for me. I'll give you £100 a week. To a young person, their mentality, their mindset, they think even £100 a week is a lot of money when actually it's not. They will jump at that opportunity. And that's the challenge we're facing with the county lines and all these gangs and drug dealing. You know, it's very, very tough for young people because they want the best. They're very competitive and this is a quick fix. You know, yeah, it's one, 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 one of the issues. And what's the but what what's is it about going into to schools and and explaining this stuff to them? Is is that going to be enough? Do you think to to make these kids realise I don't I don't want to be involved in this? Because if like you say they are having the opportunity to have these trainers or mm. you'll get to do this thing, is yeah. is that going to be enough? Because sometimes I think positions perhaps positions of authority. Yeah. yeah. Um, as as a kid, yeah. people push against that. Exactly. You hit the nail on the head. This is why teachers can't deliver what I deliver. Because the, the kids see the teacher as an authoritative figure, uh, you know, somebody in, in, in power or position. So they're not going to listen to the teacher. Also, the teacher sees them every single day, Monday to Friday. It's like seeing your mum and dad, not listening to your mum and dad. But when you come in, like we do, as a guest speaker, as a one-off stranger, and with my background, it makes me very credible. You know, I remember when we first started this initiative, this project in 2012, and I used to go into the schools. I never used to tell them at first hand, straight away, that I've been to prison, I've got a criminal record. A lot of the kids never used to believe me. They used to say, oh, yeah, you're just a police officer, undercover police officer, you're just a fireman. And then that made us review our project. And then we got a video from Met Police of actually my case, how they bought our gang. Wow. So that's the first thing I play in my introduction in every school I go into. So as soon as I play that, the whole assembly hall in every school goes quiet. Like, oh, for real, he he, he hasn't been to prison. Oh my gosh, he used to be a gangster. And they start saying all these things, but you don't hear a pin drop, Oliver. And at that point, when I, don't, when I hear that silence, oh, yes, this is the time. I've got their ears, I've snatched their hearts. It's time for me to educate them now. And I start taking them through the whole assembly one by one we talk about bullying anti-bullying we talk about anti-gangs we talk about anti-knives offensive weapons we talk about um, consequences of criminal record we talk about what it's like to live in prison and I've got all the prison gear with me and I take from the boot of my car a real prison bed and a real prison clothing prison cutlery plates you know prison toiletries prison canteen we do scenarios where they make shapes of prison cell so I make it as real as possible and I say to them, in fact, this studio now that we are in doing this podcast is a good size of, it's about six foot by six foot. It's the shape of a prison cell. I said, do you want to live in 
here for 22 hours a day? They'll be like, no, we don't. I say, exactly. So this is what's ahead of you. If you're not going to listen to your mums, your teachers, you know, because I know you've heard, I say to them, I know you've heard all of this before, but it takes outside person like me to come and reinforce this message. Especially coming from somebody who's had the experience. Exactly, exactly. So it's very hard hitting, very, very hard hitting. What kind of feedback have you had from um, from kids and parents? Oh, wow. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Funny enough, we just released our project report um, this week for this academic. It just, just finished. It's on our website. And the feedback score um, is 99% overall from across primary schools and secondary schools and uh, it, it brings tears to my eyes when I read some of the feedback from the kids like uh, I will never join a gang I will never carry a knife I, I will never want to go to prison it's, it's so positive coming from the kids and even the head teachers write a supporting letter letter of thanks back to Kent Police and Crime Commissioner for, for the support um, and it just it's, it's, it's amazing I mean I would love for you to go in there and have a look yourself it, some of the feedback is, is amazing and the impact is real you know it's, it's so needed it is so needed mm. uh, I mean and, and you, you've recently received some, some more funding haven't you yeah. um, I mean tell us about how, how you hope that's going to help push reform restore respect out mm. further mm. Um, the, the public office is like um Kent Police Crime Commissioner and Office of the Police Crime Commissioner, Kent Police, Maston Police in general, Tambridge and Morland Barrow Council, Seven Oak District Council, Kent Community Foundation based in Ashford. All of these people are funders, including Tudor Trust, the Lever Sellers Company. They are our core funders. They they make this happen for the children and for the schools. So we just recently received um, a, a three-year multi-funding from um, Kent Police Crime Commissioner, Mr. Scott, you know, he's been brilliant and he asked us to pilot this um just for his office in 2017 we did it for a year after that he funded us again last year from the safe in kent fund that's finished now and now he's given us three-year multi multi-year funding from his violence reduction challenge fund so now we've got funding for three years from him and we're going to be going to schools in medway tunbridge seven oaks maystone dartford and anywhere else in Kent, basically, I'm not going to say no to a school. I mean, I've travelled as far as Ramsgate, Thanet areas, Margate. So the money's there. We've got the funding. We want to do the work. And, you know, and some schools are very good. Like I've got relationships with schools over the past seven years. Every school that I go into, they make repeat bookings. But they know what it's like. They know how important the project is. You know, I don't have to chase them to make a booking. But schools that we've never been into before, sometimes harder to get in because they are scared of Ofsted. They think, oh, Ofsted will think we've got issue in our school or we've got a problem. No, it's education, it's early intervention, it's prevention, you know, and some schools really need to get on board. For example, and I'll flag up on this podcast, Tunbridge Wells is a fine example. We hardly go into schools in Tunbridge Wells and I'm based in Tunbridge, you know, because they are royal Tunbridge Wells, you know, and you know, I, and I, I'm pledging to head teachers in those type of areas to all need to be on board because Ofsted will applaud this you know, that you are a very proactive school. That's what they will say, you know, but yeah, that's where we at. So they think there's a, so you saying schools in, in the Tunbridge Wells area, they think what, there's a stigma to booking these, these? They sessions? don't, we don't, just, they don't, we don't get invite into them. We don't get invite to them. And that's not common in terms of, cause you are hitting out a lot of communities. Yeah, in Kent. I, yeah. I mean, our reputation is huge across Kent schools. Everyone knows us, but not Tunbridge Wells. 
and it's a real shame. It's a real shame. Yeah, yeah. the head teachers need to do more. So uh, a lot of a lot of what you are doing prevention. It's prevention through understanding the issue of knife crime and gang violence and, and i always find i think this is an interesting discussion point but um the knife angel sculpture which has been dubbed a national monument for violence and aggression and, and for listeners that don't know it's a huge sculpture made of blunted blades that have you know been seized and it's traveled up and down the country it's going to be in medway in, in the rochester cathedral gardens on the 2nd of september and um, do you think that the, the knife angel has that impact of, of being this monument against violence and aggression yeah i mean you only see the monument it is huge it's very scary too and i, I think it sends a good message to know who wants to carry a knife knowing that all the knives collected or handed into the police was used to create this huge sculpture and yeah it's a good initiative i love it and personally my personal view is this should be in central london because london i mean we've seen the murder rate you know for the past seven years is getting higher it's going up by eight percent each year it's huge london got issues you know and that's where all the murders are happening by knife crime and it should be in London rather than Medway. That's my personal view. And why isn't it in London? Because um, Sadiq Khan in 2017, the guy who designed the sculpture, made the sculpture, made it, you know, with a view that it was going into London. Sadiq Khan in 2017 didn't want this in London. So the guy who made it, his family's from up north, from Liverpool, Manchester area. So he said, okay, I'll send up to North then. So that's why he's been traveling from North to the Midlands, Birmingham, now he's making his way down to the South. And it's 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 bonk it's bizarre and it's bonkers why City Khan doesn't want this in London when London's got major issues, you know. Kent and Medway, we've got our issues and our challenges, but for me again, I'm 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 a great believer that it's a safe place to work, you know. It's a safe place to live. We've got issues, but it's not as bad as London, so it would be be beneficial for London to have this sculpture. So that, that's my view on it. But it's it's a brilliant thing. It's a brilliant initiative, you know. Yeah. If you take one look at it, it make you think. Definitely. Very, very, very visual project. Very visual. Mm. It's very, very good. It, it's funny. It, it seems like a, there's there's been a number of stories recently, and I think obviously it's a response to the the high levels of knife crime that we've yeah. seen in the last two years. Specifically, this year has been it's been very high in yeah. London. Yeah. Um, and and this new initiative that came out last week was to use chicken boxes yeah. as a, a method of deterring deterring knife crime. There was this hashtag knife free in these stories. I mean, mm. tell us a bit about about that initiative. Uh, my personal view is it's a waste of taxpayers' money. It's bizarre. I don't see the link between chicken shops and 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 and, and, and knife crime. I can't make the link. Or is is the Home Office is pretty Patel telling us that. Most kids that carry knives all go and eat in those type of shops. Is that what she's saying to us? It's very bizarre. Um, and and I, I think there's no need for it. I think those those shops, uh, is it Dixie Chicken, Chicken Cottage, and I forgot the other one now. There's three of them. They're going to benefit from it. They're going to get money out of this by doing this initiative. But it's not going to... There will be no measures or outcomes that's going to come out of it. It's a waste of time. And if they're going to do something like that, it needs to be hard hitting. I want to see real life stories of people who's actually been stabbed and survived the stabbing to put their stories on there. I want to see uh, mothers who've lost their sons or daughters to knife crime put their stories on there. That's more impactful. I just don't want to hear or see stories on a chicken box about 
how not to carry a knife or it's not it's not hard hitting it's not going to achieve anything it's a waste of taxpayers money and it's bizarre and i was thinking about it the other day naturally i thought you know what everything i'm seeing at the moment there's a lot of announcements at the moment coming from pretty patel it feels like they're getting ready for an election to get people on their side. Like, we've been tough on crime, we've been tough on gangs, we've been tough on knife crime. And I think that's all they're doing, you know. And, yeah, it's not right. The other day, she made another announcement about, uh, I want prisoners to feel terror. <laughs> I mean, when I saw that headline, I thought, wow, why would you want prisoners to feel terror? You know, we, you know, we, we we believe in the criminal justice system. They commit a crime, they go through the system, the procedures, they get sentenced, they go to prison, they serve their time. We rehabilitate them, they come out. Why do you want to f- want them to feel terror? I mean, look at America, for example. You know, that view of making prisons feel terror. America still believes in capital punishment and death row and stuff like that. That has not solved crimes or reduced crimes in America. It did not solve it. So making prisons feel terror ain't going to solve anything. And bold statements like that doesn't help, I think. You know, we don't want to hear that. You know, we want to hear preventative stuff, early intervention stuff. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that, that the knife-free stuff comes across as electioneering rather than anything, yeah. anything else? Yeah, that's all they're doing. They're gearing up for election, I feel. And, you know, they're trying to make the public believe that this new government cabinet being just been set up by Mr. Johnson... They're gonna go hard on 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 crime, knife, gangs, all that, all those issues. They don't, they, yeah. They want to get voters in, and that's why they're making all these announcements, putting, throwing money, waste, wasting taxpayers' money. That's how I feel. Yeah, it's a waste of time. It's bizarre. Chicken boxes, really. Yeah. And what would you do with that that money that was put into the the hashtag knife free chicken boxes? What would be your oh wow? You know how much work I can do with that money, you know. If I break it down, say somebody give us £10,000 a year to go into schools. Normally, I see 2,000 school children per academic year. So when you divide £10,000 by 2,000 kids I'm going to see, that's what? £5 per, per student, £5 per child. That £5, that's what, McDonald's meal? That can potentially, my message can potentially save a child picking up a knife, a child joining a gang, a child becoming a drug dealer, becoming a serious offender, five pounds it will cost for me, my child to do that, you know? And if that child was to go to prison, how much would that cost the taxpayer? 70, 70 to 80,000 or more a year to keep them in custody for one year. So it's a no brainer, you know? Not intervening early is very expensive and early intervention is, de- is definitely the way forward. And the Home Office, I've seen some tweets this week of them promoting early intervention that they believe in it. They want to push more for early intervention because it's the right way. You know, we've been telling them for years about that, but now they're beginning to listen. I mean, alongside that, there was a, another one which I think is worth talking about, and this is the idea that um, there was a draft guidance to the Offensive Weapons Act uh, which proposed a curfews for 12-year-olds and, and up. Yeah. Um, I mean, is this is this demonising children? I mean, yeah. You know, I, I mean, especially as the Ministry of Justice stats suggest the majority of knife crimes are committed by over 18, 18 is it, it demonising children by mm. by talking about this kind of curfew for 12 mm. year olds and up um, it's early day because it's a draft we don't know how it's going to work in practice because it's just a draft but I don't think that 
I read through, I think it's a good step forward. You know, it's a step in the right direction. Um, and as part of that draft, you know, there's that pledge, that extra 20,000 police officers, which is a good thing. You know, we need more police officers. I mean, again, Matthew Scott has been brilliant, you know, in how he's been increasing the police officers in Kent. You know, it's been going up year year on year. It's been going up. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. Also, the 12, um, giving curfew to tw- kids who are 12 years old, maybe it's not going to work like that. You know, I think if a kid get caught with a knife, they'll go through the pr- procedure, the process, they'll get probably a warning, slap on the hand. If they do it again, they'll up the ante a little bit. And before they actually get that curfew, be like a first strike, you know, so we need to see how it'll work. So yeah, I, I think it's a step round. We need to get tough because come on, we look at, if, we look, if we look at county lines, you know, we've got kids at age 10, 11 involving county lines. So the age of, kid committing crime is much younger as well so uh, yeah we need to be tougher as well so I think I think it's a, I think it would be a good thing and we should wait to see how it works in practice yeah definitely why do you think we see um, so much uh, story so many stories around county lines mm. uh, why does it happen <laughs> county lines is just it's it's been going on for years it's no new thing I mean county lines has been going on for a decade now it's just that for us in Kent and Medway for the past, I would say for the past six years, we've then accepted that it's happening in, in in our areas. But it's been going on for a while. It's been going on from when I was young. I remember when I was I used to live in London, I was involved in gangs, selling drugs. You know, some of the drug dealers that I knew from back then, this is like 19 years ago, used to go travel up to Ipswich, Norwich to go and sell drugs there. It's been happening for a long time. But now, it just it's become a bigger problem to the point where, but I think... When you look at it, I always give credit to the Met Police because for these London gangs to want to run away and leave London in the first place, that means the Met Police must be doing something right. They're doing something really good and nicking them. So they don't want, want to be in London. They want to go to new areas where our police force don't know them so they go under the radar so they can sell drugs. So they're running away from London. So it's a massive problem. And what I don't like about it is when these London gangs get into Kent and Medway, they quickly want to find our children to get them to run around because our children lives in the area. They have better geographical knowledge of the area, who's who, what street. So they want them to do all the dealing for them while they just go back to London. They just drop the package off, come back, collect money. So that's what I don't like. So they're trying to get our kids involved in it. You know, and we don't want that. And again, Kent Police has been brilliant in taking the fight back to them. I mean, you've seen some of the headlines recently. You know, they're going, they're taking the fight back to them again to London. They're raiding, they're raiding people around here. And they send a big message that we're not having them. We don't want them in Kent and Medway. Mm. You know, yeah, definitely. And, and and just lastly, Francis, you know, you go out and speak to, to children in our communities at schools about the, the threat of knife crime, violence, gang violence what's the kind of advice that you can give or the kind of points you can give them to make sure they don't get involved hmm. in county lines yeah. gangs I mean I, my message to kids all the time is you know it's short lived you know when you get involved in carrying a knife or drug dealing or in a gang it's a very short life it goes three ways it's either you're gonna get killed somebody's gonna seriously hurt or harm you end up in prison or six feet under you've been in a grave dead you know it's 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 very so i say to them it's not worth it you know for me you see it's 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 that whole thing on on social media on youtube what these gangs portray 
you know, these drill music, grind music, they, they, they make, they want to brainwash kids like that is the way of life. And I'm saying to them, it's not. A way of life is actually getting a job, having a career, going to work, you know, having a family, getting a mortgage. So I, that's the message I give them, that that life is very short-lived. You don't want that path. You don't want that path. If you want a good life, you know, you know, the purpose of life is a life of purpose. I keep telling kids in schools, if you want that life, stay away from that way of life. You know, don't, don't copy what you see on YouTube what you see, what you read, what you see on the news, it's, it's not real, you know, it's, it's a facade. It's exactly that, it's a facade, it's just not real. And I, I'm very clear on that to, to the kids. Yeah. yeah. Francis, thank you very much. Thank you. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.